for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Welcome to episode 463 of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This week, we have interviews with Adam Lawson from The Kill Journal and Brent Langle from Snow White Zombie Apocalypse. Adam is first, and he has an Indiegogo project going on for the debut issue in this series, The Kill Journal. It's described as a horror graphic novel about revenants and the survivors who hunt them. Adam has successfully completed his Indiegogo project, and it's moved into a new phase which we discuss. So be sure to support them just as soon as you can. Then everything wraps up with the return of Brent Lengel, who has a Kickstarter going on for Snow White Zombie Apocalypse, which is described this way. Snow White awakens to Prince Charming's kiss 28 days later. The third installment of the Ringo Award-nominated dark fantasy series. This project is going to conclude on Thursday, December 17 at 8 a.m. Eastern Time, so don't wait. Be sure to go and support it. I'm sure you're going to enjoy what both creators have to say. There's a lot to get to in this episode, so let's get on with the show. My name is Sydney Valentine, and I'm a survivor. A revenant slaughtered everyone I love, including my daughter. They're evil spirits, back from the dead who wield machetes and tire irons, and a bullet to the head won't stop them. After one butchered his congregation, St. George claims God called him to hunt the revenants, and he's recruiting survivors to join him. Most won't make it out alive, but at least they're taking a stand. God has his book of life, and St. George has his kill journal. It's great to welcome to the podcast Adam Lawson, a creative person behind comics and TV and all kinds of good things. Um, let's see. The book that we're talking about right now on Indiegogo is in the the, the success phase after you've, you've already got your goal, and we're talking a little bit ahead of time. But uh, there's a little thing you can do afterwards, and that's where you are right now. So if somebody wants to get the Kill Journal, they can go to Indiegogo and look for that. So anyway, Adam, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing fantastic, Wayne. Thanks for having me on. Um, I love talking comic books. You know, I make TV by day, and I love to talk comics by night. So it's uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, you've done what called the Eighth, isn't it? That was the book you did before. Yeah, the Eighth was a 212-page graphic novel. It was eight issues uh, plus a 12-page uh, mini story that was unlocked during the campaign, and it was a cool hardcover slipcase uh, special edition type of project. Uh, I always love those in the crowdfunding world. But it was a, a tale about a teenage math genius who or maths genius who uncovers a piece of ancient Sumerian armor and he soon finds himself on a path to end the world. I had it where in this tale his superpower was that he was a math genius and the armor, this piece of ancient Sumerian armor, could only be used by running equations. And so it was his mathematics that allowed him to manipulate these particles in this uh, armor. And there was the pieces were hidden around the world and he and his friends were traveling across it to find them and leaving bodies in their wake and dealing with heavy moral dilemmas. Um, oh, cool. 
Very cool stuff. Yeah. Now, let's see. Escape the Night was the longest running series you run on YouTube Premium for four That's seasons. Right. It's, it's, yeah. That's and right. you've done other good things. Uh, Game of Assassins, How to Make Love to a Woman, interestingly, and The Phoenix Incident, among others. Yes. So you've done a wide variety of, of good stuff. I like to think so. I like to think so. Um, and I, you know, I've, I've been able to turn many of my passions into my work and that's been really exciting. You know, about, <clears throat> I guess it's been 10 years ago. Yeah, that's right. Um, now where, um, uh, I got a call from Sherry Bryant, Bryant and Will Wheaton to, to produce uh, tabletop, uh, which I also did for four seasons. I don't know if you're familiar with this. It was a somebody board gaming show, uh, hosted by Will Wheaton and he and I did you know, 80 episodes of the show. And it was, um, you know, I've been working in television and that show was the returning to my, my childhood loves of comics and board games and role-playing games. And, um, and so that brought my sort of my childhood passions back into my career. And then it's, it's been with me, uh, for the last 10 years in, in some way or another. Yeah. So, so how long have you been interested in comics? I mean, I've, been interested in comics since I was probably 13 years old. I remember because I Dungeons and Dragons was my first love, and that's what brought me into um, the uh, you know the gaming shop, right, where they also sell comic books. And I remember I'd been going there for a, a year or two, and then I remember seeing Jim Lee's X Men. And when I saw Jim Lee's art, right, his version of of the X Men, it instantly became cool. Um, because Alves and Cyclops was like this badass tough guy with all these muscles, right? And these ruby like sunglasses versus that odd visor. And um, it really, it changed it for me. And that's the first time I really picked up a comic book um, hmm. was when I saw Jim Lee, when I saw Jim Lee's version. Um, Isn't that interesting? And so yeah, it really is. And it, it was his art that did it. And it's interesting. It's cool. Cause I live here in Burbank and just a block from my house, Jim Lee just had a statue built. Uh, I should say the city yes. of Burbank that it built this cool his his you know his key image from Black, Batman Black and White, and um, yeah. it's you know just a block from my house. I just walked to it this morning when I walked my dog, and I was looking at it. it just came up. I guess now just been a couple weeks. It's been here, um, and it's such an amazing sight. And there was a big you know thank you in my heart because it's like boy Jim Lee's art and his version of Batman is what made turn Batman for me being like oh it's just kind of this dumpy guy in tights to oh no this is cool. Um, <laughs> and then interesting. It, it's it's funny how certain things respond, you know, or resonate right? within us. And it's interesting because that because I, I remember I was I'm old enough to have seen Batman. What they call now is Batman sixty six. I watched it on the television, and I remember being horrified because Adam West. I was, I was like, that's not Batman. What the heck is this? And right. uh, you know. I was in the theater watching the movie and there he was with a shark on his leg and he's pounding on it and everyone's laughing. And I stood up and say, you wouldn't laugh if you had a shark on your leg. And it's just funny how those, I was already Batman when I could, I, I kind of endured Batman at that time. And then, you know, Neil Adams started doing things and that was much more my, my take on Batman and stuff like that. But yeah, that statue. Wow. I've seen pictures. It's tall. It's, it's very tall. It's huge. It's a huge bronze statue. Uh, it's right outside of an AMC theater. Uh, one of the, the best, the best AMC theater in probably the country. Um, mm. And it has the, the Atmos sound, eight 
you know, 8.1 sound systems in it. It's this magical place. It has IMAX. It's, and you know, I, I love it because I, my wife and I can walk to the movies. Well, we once could, uh, but, um, but Batman is outside of it. So it's, um, it's really a special spot. And I think that you know, that was the beginning of the love for me. And then there was, you know, versions of, uh, that changed my tastes as well along the way. And I mean, I still always have, a, have had a love for Jim Lee and will probably always will because of what his art meant. Um, but I, you know, there's been certain, ta- you know, certain other writers and artists who've like expanded uh, my taste and flavor. Um, you, know, you know, now the artist that I think really speaks to me the most right now is a writer artist is Daniel Warren Johnson, um, who did Murder Falcon and he also did uh, Under Wonder Woman Dead Earth, this new one. But his uh, indie books, um, Extremity and Murder Falcon, really, you know, brought him to life for me. And I just, I love what he what he does. Uh, it really mm. resonates cool. with me. Okay, so we've established your street cred as far as comics go. Let's get into the Kill Journal, and I I've got to read the description you originally emailed me, which I got a, I got a kick out of. It says the kill journal is a tale about revenants and the survivors who hunt them. Revenants are evil spirits back from the dead, wielding chainsaws and machetes and their victims. The ones still alive are taking a stand led by a half mad preacher. They're ridding the world of these monsters before they become one themselves. The, the chainsaws and the machetes, that was the thing I got. Evil spirits. I haven't seen evil spirits wielding chainsaws and machetes before, so I thought that was kind of a unique way to approach that. Do you want to explain a little bit more about what the Kill Journal is? Yeah, I think you you, you read it best there. Uh, but you know, revenants are vengeful spirits back from the dead, right? And they take physical form, right? They walk on two legs like a man. Uh, they wield a chainsaw like a man, but they can't be killed, like a man they can only be delayed right you can shoot them you can run them over with a truck but until you solve the spiritual problem they just keep coming back uh and so a revenant is a, a broad term and it can mean often can mean things like a slasher like jason Voorhees could be considered a revenant also the crow could be considered a revenant or like clint eastwood from high plains drifter is also falls into this range of what a revenant is in this case our tale picks up after the horror movie ends, right? This is when, you know, the last few survivors are covered in mud and blood and their friends are dead and their houses are burned. And then the sun is starting to rise and the credits roll, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, this is then what happened. Well, now what do they do with their lives? Because at mm-hmm. the core, in, in reality, they, they're now victims of extreme trauma, right? Mm-hmm. And so as a result of this, they find themselves on St. George's doorstep at his church. And he runs these support groups for uh, those who've survived these attacks. And now these attacks are something that are covered up by the news and the media, and they're hidden away. But St. George realizes the truth of it as a revenant butchered his congregation and his son. And so he's recruiting from this support group those who are crazy enough to go and hunt the revenants. And what he's offering these survivors you know, to deal with their trauma is he's off. He's, he's offering them the solution of revenge, mm. right? Uh, he can't give them peace, uh, but he can give them revenge. And because these characters are certainly broken from their trauma and also with what was in their life before, for example, um, Sydney, our point of view character who gets us is the new recruit at the beginning of issue one. Um, she brought her daughter to a party 
cabin in the woods. She was meeting a guy. She left her daughter in the car. She went inside, was with the guy. Revenant shows up and started butchering people. And he started outside of the cabin, right? And so her daughter was a casualty of that. And so, you know, she attempted suicide and it didn't take. And here she is full of a lot of guilt, right? She was being a bad mom, so to speak, that night. And if she would have been a responsible mom and not gone, her daughter would be alive. So there is this guilt that hangs over them as well. And when you're hunting monsters, there's always the danger of becoming one yourself, right? Because you're going to have to do dark and difficult things. And revenants are tough to kill, right? Because you can't tough guy one. You can't beat a revenant in a fist fight. You're always going to lose in that. I mean, you could maybe delay them, but they're always going to keep coming. And as a result, you have to find this spiritual problem. In the example of Jason Voorhees, you got to take him back to Camp Crystal Lake, right? And drown him there. And then you can stop them. And so they've got to figure out this spiritual problem, build a custom booby trap, all while this revenant is coming for them. And each time they encounter him, he's beating the hell out of them. They're doing everything they can just to survive and get through to the next moment. So it's cool because it's a, it's a fight. It's a war and it's a fight that they know they're probably going to lose, but they're still there fighting. And I, I like that. And I like these idea of heroes fighting what feels like a, a doomed war, if you will. But they start to make some headway and they start to uncover this idea that maybe there is a, is a universal problem as to why these revenants are coming back, right? They each have their own myth, right, as to how they were made. But is there a force unifying them? That's the question that gets asked. Um, mm-hmm. So they have to resolve that. And to resolve the, the, the problem, they're trying to stay alive while they do that. That's right. That's the, other, that's the other pain of it, right, is they have to then stay alive while trying to solve these problems. And not only just are they trying to stay alive, you know, they're also then trying to figure out, cope with their own problems. Um, you know, for example, one of the characters, his name is Finch. He grew up on the Mexican border. His dad ran the dog fighting pits. One day, a dog didn't show, and uh, his dad threw him in the ring. And he took out this dog, and then his dad raised him in the in the cages like he was one of the dogs. And he and then Mr. Crispy, a revenant, came in and wiped out his dad and everybody in a fight, and he made it out. And so he's somebody that is on the verge of could become a revenant himself, right? He even steals one of the revenant masks. He buries it in the backyard, and he visits it from time to time. And so he's struggling with the animal inside Wayne. Um, and will he, you know, will he become a revenant himself is his fear. Okay. You brought up something I think we should touch on a little more and that is the mask. Um, yes. One of the, one of the things you can buy on in this Indiegogo project is a mask. And for $150, you get a movie quality replica of Dylan's revenant mask. That's not the mask that, uh, that he's got. Finch has, right? No, different no, that's one. a different one. Yep. But anyway, you get a mask. You can buy a mask, uh, and we get to see Dylan right off the bat. He's the first one we see on the page uh, when we go down the Indiegogo page. And I always like those kinds of things. I knew somebody uh, who had a, uh, a Kickstarter, and they, they had a dragons were in their book. And so somebody they knew could make dragon masks, and so they were people could buy dragon masks, which were pretty cool. That's awesome. 
Yeah, yours are pretty cool too. I have to say the the it's kind of a skull shape, uh, and that's, you also get the leather bound edition plus digital, and your name officially entered onto the failed superhero club uh, roster in the graphic novel. A big deal in some circles. So that's one of the things to do. I, I, I people say I never get to the the good stuff, the, the, the extras soon enough. So I'm trying to get to that a little sooner since you mentioned that. But uh, so, yeah. yeah, so. Yeah, no, the mask is cool. It's this. It's what I would use on set. It's got pads also inside it, and let's elastic strap on the back so you can wear it. And boy, when you walk around the house in it, you feel like you belong in the horror movie, right? And right. Uh, it's cool because in the time of COVID, you can wear that out in public and say, "Hey, this is my mask," and people keep six <laughs> feet away. So it's good. <laughs> At least six feet away, I, I would imagine. Yes. All right. Uh, as we talk a little bit about Dylan, because he's the first one we see. He's got a huge machete in the mask, and he's got a lady that he has basically cut in half. <laughs> Why don't you talk about who Dylan is? Yeah, so Dylan um, is a revenant who was betrayed by a family member to a cult. And uh, I don't want to spoil too much of his story because he, he's quite central to this first volume. And he um, he was somebody that was – placed into a ritual and left for dead in the swamps and he came crawling back out. And that mask that he's wearing is part of the, uh, the voodoo ritual that was going on. And this machete uh, was in his boat. He is uh, someone who worked the swamps uh, hunting gators. And that was his tool um, that he would use. And so those are the pieces. So a couple of pieces from his tragic event. Um, and so he has, not only, you know, leaving a bloody path in his way, but he is on the path of revenge, right? To find the family member who betrayed him and also um, <clears throat> and also anyone who stands in his way. And he essentially repeats that those events like a broken record. Mm, mm. Mm, somebody you don't want to be around too much. So No, no. Pretty good. All right. Let's talk about the other couple on, on the uh, Indiegogo page. There's a girl by the name of Marty. Our father was a chemist who built bombs in the basement in a trade that she picked up on. Talk a little bit more yes. about her. She's unlike Sydney, who is dark haired. She is blonde, looks like. So talk about her character. Yeah. So uh, Marty is, uh, you know, a hapa. She's half Japanese girl. Her dad was a chemist. And, um, the hair is blonde because in there's a little you'll see there's a small story about her and her origin that you know in her after her father's death she dyed her hair blonde and went punk rock um but um but marty yeah just like you said her dad was building bombs for the mob after he lost his job as a chemist and her and her dad were inseparable she was his lab assistant they were best friends and then um one day her dad had a girlfriend and she seemed to slip to the back burner in priority and just created this anger and frustration with, of course, the new mom, as, as often is the case. And she went to this carnival with her dad and his girlfriend and met a fortune teller there. And she told this fortune teller, I want to get rid of this woman. And she, fortune teller, told her about this myth, this urban myth, and that this revenant would remove unwanted things from your life at a cost. And so she agrees to do it. And uh, in this hall of mirrors, this revenant bursts out of it. But instead of getting rid of the woman, the revenant kills her father. Um, 
because it, it certainly because she's told the revenant she wanted the woman out of her life. Well, that certainly got the woman out of her life, uh, just right. not in the way she intended. So <laughs> she's devastated from that, and so as a result, she kind of hates the world because she hates herself, and she's here fighting the revenants because there's really just nothing else left for her to do or where to go because um, the guilt's so heavy and the hunt is the only thing that, that can keep it at bay. Yikes. Okay. Yeah. So she's another interesting character with lots of stuff going on. Um, the last one that I see on the page is a guy, and I, I might be mispronouncing this, Brecken. That's right. You're saying it right, Brecken. Okay. And it says here he's a Creole who hunted gators in the swamps. Talk a little bit more about him. Yeah. So a Brecken uh, Creole grew up in Louisiana, um, worked in the worked in the swamps, and um, he's somebody that St. George finds um, with a millstone around his neck, and he pulls him into the group. Um, he has the most sordid past and, and maybe the darkest secrets and greatest debt of sin, if you will. And so he is he's he's brought into the group, and he's. I shouldn't say the most familiar, but he's the most prepared for the war to come with the revenants. And um, he and Sydney get quite close. There's some romance there, which gets complicated later in the volume, later in the uh, series. Um, but he, um, I think, is what is fun about him is obviously the, the Creole talking and the great bits of dialogue and the verbiage. Um, uh, but he's not, he's the one that is willing to hurt somebody who is not a revenant. Right. So that he, and so St. George is always struggling with him because though St. George is a badass and he's a shotgun wielding preacher, he's not out to hurt non revenants. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas Brecken is willing to do anything. Mm, carries guns. Looks like. Yeah, he carries a chainsaw on his back and a and a shotgun and a sawed off on his hip, you know. So now, one of the things, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about the actual series itself. One of the things I was curious about is why is it called the Kill Journal? And I noticed that Saint George is carrying a book. Is that the Kill Journal? Bingo! That's right. Okay. That is the Kill Journal. So that's the reason why it's called called that because he keeps a record. Right of all the kills and of all the revenants they encounter and the details surrounding them, because once again it's really complicated, right, to to find out who these revenants are and to learn their stories and and so the actual graphic novel itself that you can get is a leather bound edition designed based on a design of a 12th century Bible, Catholic Bible, and so the cool part is when you're reading the graphic novel, you are reading about a guy who is writing the book you are reading. And uh, and the and the graphic novel itself has you know it's debossed design work in the leather that uh, there's even some unique symbols hidden in it that tie into symbols and storylines inside of the graphic novel. So it's a bit of a fun game, you know, uncovering what's in the cover that ties into the book and the story. Um, so, but yes, so that's why the Kill Journal. So what's in the in the leather bound book is different from the issues of the comic. Uh, no, no. So. The way it works out is a leather-bound graphic novel, as of right now, is a 106-page graphic novel, right? And then the individual issues are delivered digitally. So essentially the way that works out is as soon as the campaign ends, you get issue number one digitally. And the next month, 
you know, so January, you get issue number one, February issue number two, March issue three, et cetera, and down the line, just like you were collecting them in the comic book shop or on Comixology. And so <clears throat> that's why it's, you see the four issues and the four covers. And the cool thing is, is the graphic novel will still have the, four, the cover art in it. Um, so you, that is not, uh, is not wasted, I should say. And, um, but that, yeah, so that's how it's broken up. And so some people can back it just digitally, um, which we've had a lot of success with that. And same thing with the eighth big success with people just wanting to get the issues right now digitally and get a monthly. Um, and then for the rest of the, then for people who are backing the hardcover, you still get the monthly digitals, uh, which you can take or leave. Um, but you will get essentially the 88 pages, the principal storyline. Um, and then there's four six-page mini stories. Uh, three of them we've unlocked, and we're about ready to unlock the last one. Um, and these are six-page origin stories about each of our survivors, about Brecken, Marty, Finch, that tells the details of the night the Revenant, uh, Revenant came for them. Because I didn't want to bog down the main storyline with all that backstory. Mm -hmm. it, it's it's spoken about in the main storyline you get a couple panels about it and flashback but you don't really get a deep dive into it that's in these what i'm calling these uh dossier stories at the end mm -hmm. now the your fixed goal was twelve thousand dollars which of course you went right past and while we're talking and this is, again this is a little ahead of before the conclusion of things you were at twenty thousand dollars so you were at 167 percent uh, I, I imagine by the time this post, you will have gotten past that. I, I talk a little bit about the uh, how people can get it when this post. There's a, a way that you can get a hold of these things, uh, even though the, the main uh, event itself has been concluded. That doesn't mean it's away from you now. You can still get the Kill Journal. So how do you do that? Yeah, so the, the Indiegogo has this great feature called In Demand. So essentially what happens is, is when your campaign ends, if you've reached your funding goal, you can choose to go into in-demand, which means the campaign rolls over <clears throat> and people can still continue to order it all the way up and right until the day before you ship it. Uh, so it gives late pledges and, and people who might have heard about it later a chance to get it and also no need to close the door on people being able to buy it because as you know, you got to finish the book and your shipping time and all that several months of time that why not leave the door open for people to continue to purchase. Uh, but after the time, after the campaign ends, the stretch goals are done. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and we have one more stretch goal to get at 21,000. That's our last mini story. And I feel very good that we'll get it. Uh, and that's where we're at. Yeah. You just passed 20,000 when we're talking. So there's, there's plenty more to go. Are the, the perks are going to still be available, right? The Revenant mask and all that. Are those still going to be available? Yeah, the whole package will still be available after we leave um, the campaign and go into in demand. It'll all be available. The mask, you know, we have a limited amount of those because just they're all custom painted and it's a really special item. But it's super time demanding on our artist, etc. So, yeah, well, that's good. That's because as we're talking, eighteen out of the fifty have been claimed. It says, and, and I, I expect as you get closer to the end, that's when a lot of people 
make that finally make the decision to jump on and get going. So I, I hope there's a couple left for people <laughs> when this comes along. But, you know, I, we can't be certain. But it's a very cool item. And I, I will be completely understanding if, if for some reason they just they, they run out before you get to that. But uh, it's going to be really something. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. It's Thank really you. cool Thank stuff. You. Yeah, you get the graphic novel and, uh, in the leather and the mask for 150 which is, the I think, one of the best levels you've also got that 11 by 17 original on comic board the art for the revenants uh the original art for uh that one has not yet as we're talking gone maybe gone see that's the terrible thing about talking in the future is we can't be 100 percent certain but uh I, I can see that going i like the art which, which leads me to talk about the art and the artist who is the artist for the kill journal the artist's name is jason Krager. Um, he, back in the day, did a run on uh, Darkness and also Evangeline for Top Cow. He's an amazing artist. He's been kicking out these pages, you know, one fully – he works digitally, so there's no inking process anymore. But he's kicking out a page every day or every other day. Um, he's making incredible headway on the book. That's why we're able to deliver it. Um, and, you know, I took the financial risk and started the book so that we could be very ahead when the campaign started. So that way people don't have to wait too long to get it and all those things. Uh, but he's delivering these mind blowing pages. Um, and his, and he's used to delivering in black and white and making black and white books, or at least he has for the last few years. And so you get the, his black and white pages are just are complete in and of themselves. You know, sometimes when you get line art, it's, it's really simple art, right? It's just the, the outline of characters and things um, like a coloring book. And then it, goes straight to color and then the colorist really adds all the dimension right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um to it but that's not how jason's artwork is jason's artwork is flush with um with detail and blacks and and where it could stand all on its own mm-hmm. and so i'm we will do a, a black and white version of the book later on um because it I think, at least for me i love i love black and white so who's doing the coloring uh, a guy named Steve Cannon is doing it, um, and I'm really pumped. He has an amazing job. He's um, finished with issue one, moving on. He, I found him from this book called Jack Irons, and it's really, really awesome. Mm. Now, let me go back to uh, the black and white art because you have a T-shirt that's available. Is, is, does that artist draw? That's Dylan on the on the T-shirt. Yeah. Is, is yeah, that his that's art? Jason. That's Jason. Okay. Yep. Okay. He's standing there holding his, his machete, which I don't think he ever lets go of. <laughs> right. No. And he's got that on the, on the T-shirt, which is in gray. Uh, I know this is minutia, but does that come in other colors too or just gray? No, it's just this like gray-green color. Um, and I, I love um, – we did one for the 8th as well, which did – the T-shirt for the 8th did really well. Um, and um, I, we love this – shirt because it's it's graphic in design and it's look it's not just like a square piece of panel art it's a its own original piece of art that only exists in this form and so uh it's really cool yeah it's great looking stuff it's just uh something special to to see if you're into horror and stuff like this uh my only regret is this is not before halloween this would be i think this would be a a a massive halloween thing but you know what horror goes all year round you don't need to do it in front of halloween there's all kinds of good horror things happening 
So it's true. We did. We we were we were the campaign was running before Halloween. Oh, um, awesome. It's yeah. In Indigo, you go go. You can do a sixty day campaign. So it's been running for a while. So we we had a good night on Halloween. That's for sure. So that was a good time to start. And of course, Christmas, this is a good time to be going around the holidays because people like to give gifts and stuff like that. So this is also a good time to do it. So that's great that you can extend it like that. Now, according to the Indiegogo page, it looks like the mask and the graphic novel are going to come in April of 2021. Is that is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yep. All right. T-shirt around looks like the same. Uh, looks like the original art will be December, same time that the issues are going to be coming. So that'll be good. I, I, I guess the only way to get the print issues then are in the leather-bound graphic novel. Uh, yeah, that's right. So uh, the only way to get the issues is in the leather-bound graphic novel. There is not a um, trade paperback version yet. Um, what we have been trying to do with these um, is essentially build out. You know, for the Kickstarters, an exclusive visual experience, you know, a leather bound with the eight um, is the same thing. And it's really, I think, and also too long term of the, of the book, right? When it goes in a mass market, it will be in a trade paperback. But for now, you get to enjoy it in this special custom edition. Very cool. Very cool. And it's always good to do a collectible kind of a thing like that. Because uh, I, you know, I really love a story, I want to have it in a really good collected edition like that. So that's pretty cool. So yeah, yeah. the art looks just stunning. I mean, it's, it's wow, it's just everywhere, and you get to see, you know, talk about horrific. Wow, there is, there's one that looks like it's the 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 guy from the with the dogs. His eyes are like bulging out, and this one thing he's got, he's holding what looks to be a dog head under there and i yeah that's issue three looks like and wow that that is and right behind him of course is saint george looks like he's coming up behind him i don't know if i i can take what's gonna happen <laughs> really something really scary looking stuff so just amazing i like the art i think the color is good i could see this in black and white though i, I could really see this happening and one thing we should mention too is that the page, several of the pages of the first issue are on the Indiegogo page. So if you want to get an idea of what it's going to look like and what the content's going to be resemble, I would highly recommend you go to the Indiegogo page, which is the Kill Journal. And you can go in there and take a look at these pages and get a good idea of if this is something that you're going to like or the person that you're buying it for will like. Because it's just amazing stuff. There's there's a really interesting sequence where they are having looks like a some kind of a meeting and they're talking about going on what's going on and, and you know who should be able to go after the revenants and who, who should not and stuff like that. And of course they're not revenants aren't far away. And it's a real interesting <laughs> a kickoff, shall we say, to the whole story. It's really just quite amazing how that goes. Uh this is not for the faint of heart, let me say that. Uh, I think this is something that's going to really be uh, – certain horror fans are going to really adore this because some horror is, is implied. Uh, not a lot of this is implied, shall we say. You really do a good job of bringing it to the forefront and showing what it really looks like. Anyway, Adam, it's a great book. It's on Indiegogo again, and it's The Kill Journal. So if you like horror, and this is a, a, a book that you might be interested in, boy, I highly recommend it. And it's going to be available on the day this this airs, and I highly recommend you get into it and enjoy the book. Again, it's The Kill Journal, and thanks, Adam, for being able to talk with me. Thanks for having me on. 
people need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man, from flesh and blood, I can be ignored, I can be destroyed, but as a symbol. Get the latest from the comics universe. News, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast so you can keep reading your comics. Great to welcome back to the podcast, Brent Langle, the creator of SWZA. It's called uh, Snow White Zombie Apocalypse. And we talked before about this, Brent. So how are you doing? I'm, I'm doing great. Yeah. Um, we're, we're currently running a uh, successful Kickstarter to fund uh, issue number three. And since we last spoke, uh, you know, the first issue has been out. Uh, it was nominated for not one, but two Ringo Awards. Um, which just blew me away, and I was really excited. And uh, now we've got uh, the second issue is out for people who have done the Kickstarter back, uh, which is published by my company, Autonomous Collective. Um, and we also have a six-page Ashcan Reign of the Blood-Covered King um, that was created as a uh, bonus uh, since we had exceeded our goal on the first Kickstarter, and it tells a um, the story of uh, Jack the Giant Slayer uh, and the rise of the the zombie plague. So you get to see how certain things came to to pass in the world of Swaza. Well, that's great. I, I I remember when you and I talked in the past, I was kind of thinking this might not be all there was, but you didn't seem to feel that same way at that point. I'm glad that uh, you came around to feel that way, too. I mean, it doesn't mean anything if I think that, you know, it, it's, it's great if I do, but uh, you as the creator have to feel that way or otherwise it's not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, well, really, like, the thing that saved this, um, the one was a lot of enthusiasm from the fans, a lot of really good reviews that came through. Like, people really enjoyed the first issue um, and wanted to see more, which was just phenomenal for me. Uh, and then also just Kickstarter, um, making it uh, viable for me to continue to tell the story. Um, because, you know, comics are just very, very difficult to keep moving. And one of the things that I wanted to do with Swaza was move from artist to artist. So I had Hyando Park do the first double issue, um, which was like essentially the first beat in the story. Um, and uh, then I found uh, Luana Vecchio, and she is going to be doing Swaza uh, two to four. Um, and that between her and Hyando, that will compose the first trade. And I've actually, I'm already in talks with some other artists to continue the story beyond that. So it's, it's really exciting. Swaza. Okay. That, that's yeah. how you pronounce <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. That's how the cool kids okay. say it. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I didn't know I was, I, I always said just SWZA, but you know, Hey, what do I know? So that's good. Now for those people who may not have heard you last time or, you know, may not be familiar with it. Why don't you tell people what Swaza is? Sure. So Snow White zombie apocalypse is the story of Snow White who awakens to Prince Charming's kiss 28 days after the zombie apocalypse. Uh, the seven dwarves are dead. 
her prince, her one and only true love, is polyamorous. Um, and uh, he has been surviving in this, um, you know, zombie uh, plague post-apocalyptic world along with his uh, paramour Rapunzel, who is this kind of badass uh, warrior queen goddess, uh, sort of uh, in like the almost like Bruce Lee. In fact, in the first issue, she does Bruce Lee's one inch punch when fighting uh, the big bad Granny Wolf. Um, and if you'll remember, uh, just so you know, like what kind of a story this is, she does a one inch punch, which knocks him into a tree, shattering his sternum, which then causes the zombie grandma to break out from inside his rib cage. And suddenly Rapunzel is fighting a two headed, four armed double zombie, <laughs> like a, a zombie mm-hmm. turducken. <laughs> <laughs> I, I found that first issue really creative. I really did. I, I, so many interesting things were going on in this, in this story. I'm not surprised that people took to it because, you know, when you can take a different uh, spin, let's say, on a familiar story and bring out different things, I think that people kind of like that. And I know I liked it. And I, uh, based on what you're saying, other people really liked it too. I, I remember this was a play before it was a comic. Mm-hmm. And you got good response for it, from it as a play as yeah. well. So that's really cool. Indeed we do. Like you can honestly, in a weird way, like you can kind of credit a lot of my career to this story. Like I've told a lot of stories. I've had a lot of successful plays. Um, you know, the one I'm most famous for probably is North to Maine, which is uh, I'm in Appalachian trail, 2000 miles. So I've walked all 2,200 uh, miles of the Appalachian trail. Um, and I wrote the first play ever about it, which is sponsored by the Appalachian Trail Conservancy. Um, but Swaza, you know, it's just, it, it, I wrote that as part of a 24 hour play competition in New York. And that's the script that really got people to start paying attention to what I was doing and wanting to work with me, uh, which was really exciting. Cause before, uh, before I wrote that, like I'd written play, I'd written two plays, but I hadn't ever had anything produced. And, you know, it's, it's very hard, especially at the beginning of your career to get anybody to pay attention to what you're doing. Um, so this story has been a way in where people get so intrigued by the title and and the concept that they're willing to take the time to figure out like, okay, what's this all about? Mm -hmm. Which is cool. I mean, there are worse ways to get known than this. I think that this, this story, one of the things you talk about is it being like, like politics, uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. female politics and stuff like that. You, you integrate that into the story as well, which I liked. Blood, uh, sex, Kung Fu is, and gender politics is how I like to say yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> that's the way to do it. Yeah. That's the, see all that kind of good stuff makes things interesting. But see, again, there we're back to this. It's a very different look at it. And I, I like something that is different. I have, I've read Snow White many times, you know, in my life, and I've seen people reenact it and do things like that, but I've never read this version or or this take on it. So I think that's why people are really gravitating towards it because it's something new and and a a very unique look at it. And I I really like it. I think it's something, you know, when I can read something that brings out something new or tells a a new aspect of the story that I didn't realize before, I like that. And I think that's the thing about Swaza is it does that so well. Well, I mentioned earlier, and the last time we did a podcast on this, I mentioned that one of the big um, inspirations for this story was um, 
Neil Gaiman's Snow Glass Apples, his short story that was also a comic book. Um, and what was really fitting was the 2020 Ringos, you know, um, uh, one of the people I was up there with was Colleen Duran. Uh, and like she did the actual graphic novel for snow glass apples. Um, and in fact, we lost to her at one point and I was like, you know what? I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really cool about that. Now, since the last time we talked, we've talked, uh, number two has come around and there's, there's some really interesting information about number two on the Kickstarter page. Oh, and by the way, people always get on me because I don't do this fast enough. It's Snow White Zombie Apocalypse, Apocalypse number one through three. Mm-hmm. And there's a hyphen in there. That's why it's that way. And at the time that we're talking, and this is a little ahead of time, uh, your goal was $7,000 and you have gone past that. You are more than twice that. You're at 16,836. And it's going to reach its goal, uh, conclude on Thursday, December 17 at 8 in the morning Eastern Time. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not a reason to sit back and do nothing. There's, now there's good things going on. You've got stretch goals happening, all kinds of wonderful things happening. So don't sit back and say, well, he doesn't need my help. Yes, he does. He'd like to get all these good things taken care of. And there's lots, as we we're coming to find out, lots more story to be told. So get on there and get the Snow White Zombie Apocalypse, number one to three, and back it. And we don't want, now that uh, Brenton doesn't have the daily heart attack to worry about, you know, logging on and nobody has, has uh, contributed or backed it in the last since the last time you looked at it. You don't have to worry about that at this point, thank goodness. And I'm one of the ones, by the way, that pledged. I pledged for the digital. I, I tell everybody I, I would love to get paper versions of everything, but my <laughs> my stack of reading has taller than I am now. And so what I, I can if I can carry my iPad with me, I can read stuff if I'm waiting for something. So I, I've been buying uh, digital versions these days. Absolutely. The to- digital is much easier for me to fulfill. So I, I, I thank you for that because I will be fulfilling <laughs> all of this 100% by myself. Uh, it's just going to be me and my wife sending all that stuff out. Luckily, she used to work for Simon & Schuster, so she can keep me organized oh, wow. and you know get this in a real That's professional right. way. <laughs> So digital, you you actually make a pretty good amount of money on a digital version, don't you? Yeah, well, the digital digital is great because like once you have it, um, and people, you know, that's when people give for a print version. You know, a lot of money goes into um, you know printing it, shipping it. There's always these like unforeseen costs, and there's a lot of labor that goes into that. And when I'm doing that, that's time I'm not writing. You know, whereas with the digital books. you pledge. We wait till the end of the Kickstarter campaign. Your your credit card runs. It's good, and I send you out the comics. And in fact, um, a, a reason why people might want to uh, might want to back now is we are close to a uh, if once we break seventeen hundred or seventeen thousand, um, that's going to unlock our next major stretch goal. Um, and that we've got some PDFs of comics from some of the best creators, like in the industry, uh, especially like indie creators, uh, David Pepos, uh, he's, uh, given me, uh, the PDF of Spencer and Locke. Number one is in there. Uh, we've got some other great ones from like Brian Silverbacks, who's done a lot of the, um, uh, covers that we've had. He, he's put in some of his work. Uh, we've got some incredible stuff, uh, from, uh, like, uh, David Byrne, who, who did the interiors, uh, from or not the interiors but the um production uh for the first issue he's he's put in some stuff so you know there's a lot of great artists that um 
are that that I'm really excited and you know if you pledge even at just like the $5 level, you're not just getting, you know, the issue three and reign of the blood covered King digitally, you're getting like 200 freaking pages of other people's comics. So it's, it's a really good buy at this point, And I really want to send that out to everybody. So it's really exciting. Um, Dave Duanch also um, uh, sent some of his work in there. Um, I, I, I'm going to stop naming now because I know I, I'll forget, forget. somebody. <laughs> but, I, I, I always manage to forget that. It's the, the one I really shouldn't forget. That's the one I'll forget. So it's we're better to do that. But the, the, the good thing about it is I don't have to feel guilty getting a digital one about that. Because I always feel bad sometimes. Like, oh, man, I should really – Output, but I gotta. I don't have places for it anymore, so I don't have to feel guilty anymore. <laughs> I have all these good things as well, so that's great. All right, let's turn our attention to number two, because uh, when you and I talked last, number two had not yet happened, and luckily uh, on the Kickstarter page, you put some interesting information about number two. Yep. Um, why don't you, do you want to talk about the, the stuff that goes on in number two that we should know sure, about? Sure, yeah. Number two is really exciting. Uh, there's two – right now, two covers for it. You've got the Luana Vecchio cover of our, our three heroes um, in uh, the, the forest um, with the giant behind them. And then you've got the Brian Silverback's giant cover, which I freaking love. And we're also putting this on a Swazit t-shirt. Um, and it's uh, you know Rapunzel squaring off with this big, jolly green undead giant. Um, so yes, uh, issue number two kind of takes off where the, the last one ended, where, um, when at the end of the last one, uh, Prince Charming was about to kiss and get eaten by, uh, the zombified sleeping beauty, uh, and Rapunzel saved him and, you know, popped the, uh, popped her gun under his chin and was basically like, look, you've got some bad habits. I think they're going to be the death of you. And then she starts making out with him. And the last line is like, you know, um, Good thing you're so goddamn charming. <laughs> so, like, now the, mm-hmm. yeah. what, what were you gonna say? Well, I was gonna say on, on the Kickstarter page, you introduce a new enemy turned friend and consummate badass, the Woodsman. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about him a little sure, bit? Sure. Yeah. So, so the book opens up, and they, without giving away too much, the characters are led into an ambush for zombies um, by following a, a trail of uh, breadcrumbs. And uh, the person carrying out this ambush is the woodsman who initially attacks them and gets into a fist fight with Rapunzel. Now, Rapunzel is a total badass, you know, as we've seen, um, but the woodsman is easily her equal, if not her superior. And I really, I really love the work that Luana has done with the fight. Um, And I, because I'm a black belt myself in Kyokushin karate, like I'm very specific about like, how this fight is going to go. Um, you know, uh, so I'm sitting there like, no, no, you've got her throwing like a, that's a jump spinning roundhouse kick. I need it to be the rolling thunder. And she's like, what is the rolling thunder? And then I'm going into like all of these, (laughs) I'm sending her videos of like Kyokushin black belts, basically doing a front flip and, uh, landing an ax kick on somebody's shoulder or face. Um, so yeah, and so the, uh, the woodsman does Kyokushin style karate, he even says Os, which is really big. And, you know, him and Rapunzel mix it up and go at it. There's a great, uh, picture of him, uh, taking a knee to the face from Rapunzel, uh, until, uh, Snow White breaks it up by screaming for everybody to stop. And like, everybody just pauses, like nobody knew that that could come out of her. So 
they become friends. The woodsman explains kind of how this zombie plague came to be and how he's hunting the, the wolves and had been, you know, tracking them. Um, he reveals his uh, ambition is to kill the big bad alpha wolf who's running the pack because in the world of Snow White Zombie, we're sort of running on kind of a vampire rule sire system where if you're bit by a zombie, you don't just become a zombie, you die and you take on aspects of that zombie. So if you're bit by a wolf zombie, you start to become wolf-like um, and join that wolf's pack. If you're bit by like uh, a fairy zombie, maybe you know you begin to take on magical powers as a, a, as your zombie. And um, if you're bit by the giant, nobody knows what happens because the giant just eats you. And I, I, I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen if someone could possibly get bit by a giant zombie and survive. Mm. Okay, so it, this is start moving us into number three. Yeah. It, it, the way that it's described here on the uh, on the Kickstarter says, uh, Swaza number three hurls them out of the frying pan and into the fire as Snow White, Rapunzel, and Prince Charming are forced to take cover in a foreboding cabin in the woods. Always worry about foreboding cabins in the woods. So that happens to be filled with creepy occult artifacts, if you read further, and, and is built entirely of gingerbread boy that sounds kind of oh yeah so talk about what's going on there what, what number three which is kind of what this is largely about talk about what's happening in number three and what we need to know yeah i mean well so what i one of the things that i do with snow white zombie is i always make sure to pull from fairy tales and from like classic stories um as i'm doing this like i'm not just using snow white i'm using every fairy tale I can get my hands on that works for the thing. So for instance, you know, I mentioned that the, um, the, the wolves were tricked by using a trail of breadcrumbs. And then the characters followed that number two to meet with the woodsman while they're camping with the woodsman. Uh, they find out that they're being hunted by the wolf pack and they have to retreat deeper into the forest where they eventually come upon the abandoned cabin. And, you know, I'm of course not simply pulling from classic stories. I'm also pulling from classic horror cinema. And so, you know, the cabin in the woods trope is very much, you know, a huge thing from evil dead to, you know, Joss Whedon's cabin in the woods. Uh, and of course, this is the gingerbread house. <laughs> so uh, our heroes have to take refuge within it. Um, but, you know, it's a little weird even for a gingerbread house because there's a witch that used to live there that eats children. We don't quite know where she is. She's gone. Both Hansel and Gretel are gone, uh, it seems. Um, and the uh, they're being kind of stalked and menaced by some strange cannibalistic creature that uh, has been living under the floorboards and scur scurrying around in the area. Um, they also get reunited to the woodsman and he has a, a, a terrifying secret <laughs> um, that will come out in, in, towards the end of issue three. Um, but basically, you know, this is very much an out of the frying pan and into the fire. They escape the wolves for a little bit, but now they have to survive the night in this, um, you know, creepy haunted cabin. Mm. There's another little sequence that says, and Swaza continues to deliver some of the most standout, hard-hitting action sequences on the market today. And she goes, Wootah! And yeah. let's just say, uh, I don't, wanna, don't know if we want to talk about who that is that she's hitting. Well, that, gets knocked. Yeah, that's the big bad Grandma Wolf. Oh, Grandma Wolf. Okay. And goes into a tree 
more than six feet away from her, shall we say? And she and and wham. <laughs> yeah, that's an image from issue number one, um, and I, I sort of talked about that. That's uh, her just after she's delivered the Bruce Lee one inch punch, and that's the what? Oh. <laughs> like, Oh, yeah. I thought that was from three. I didn't remember that was from number one. Okay. Yeah. You, you yeah, can sort of tell really... which is which. Um, both Hyondo and Luana are amazing artists, but they have, they have somewhat of a distinct style. So if you familiarize yourself with, enough, with it enough, you'll be able to tell like who is who. But on first glance, yeah, it's easy because there's also a continuity between the two. Okay, because I, I find their styles to be somewhat similar. So for me, I didn't, I didn't really notice a difference. I thought this was continuing to talk about three. So that, well, that's good. I, I like it when it's close like that, that I, I honestly can't tell. <laughs> then I could just keep going. And then we go with the gut-wrenching horror. And that's where we get a, what is called our newest villain, the Big Bad Alpha Wolf. Yep. And wow, is he big. Oh, he is huge. And I love in that picture uh, because uh, the gingerbread man is <laughs> right there below him. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. which I, I really love how issue three opens. And I, I won't, I won't tell too much, but yeah. So the big bad alpha wolf, he is kind of the Darth Vader of this story. Um, at least for now, um, the zombie wolves and you even have it like a, there's a monologue from, uh, the woodsman in two where he says, um, you know, uh, what, what do we have here? They all seem to pass on a piece of themselves to the ones they bite. The normal ones are bad enough, but the wolves, there's something special. When the others pass into undeath, they get slower, clumsier, but not the wolves. They were hunters before. Now in death, they're only faster and meaner. A couple of nibbles and they've made themselves a pack. And then the whole passel of them dog you till there's nowhere left to run. So essentially, you know, in the first issue, we have Rapunzel. It opens on Rapunzel battling and killing, well, dismembering, does, she doesn't actually kill, the uh, Granny Wolf. Um, and um, that goes from that. The Granny Wolf is pretty dangerous, but it's really the big bad alpha wolf from the Three Little Pigs that is like the real monster. Um, and so he's kind of running that entire pack of transformed zombie wolves and he is hot on their trail, um, and is, you know, looking to kill every single one of them. Uh, so yeah, I love what Luana did with that. Um, I had her base it partially on a Wendigo. Um, and like, I really wanted like bits of skulls showing and patches of fur. Um, I, I like things to be a little weird and to not just go for the, obvious zombie werewolf but like gross zombie werewolf <laughs> you see skull i mean half of his face looks like it's a skull half and then the other side looks more like it's the real wolf mm-hmm. half and i yike I, he's got skin that's moved you can see some muscle and some bone and stuff like that and that looks like a pig to the <laughs> left there. I don't I know if that, I want to know what that, that is. That's probably one of the transformed zombie wolves. Um, yeah, there's also in the background the faces that you see. Those are uh, people who have uh, paid to have cameos in the book. So, Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. And one of them is Pete from the Pete's Basement series, by the way, <laughs> which is really great. Uh, he, he's been a big champion. Uh, his YouTube uh, show, which I would recommend everybody look up. And we're going to be doing an interview later on in the week as well. Mm-hmm. Very good, very good. So, really, wow! I mean, that is scary. 
I always am interested how monsters always are able to wear pants, though. <laughs> well, the pants are actually an important character bit. Like, you'll notice um, it looks like he's kind of got, like, a bondage theme going on. I don't know if you if you picked mm-hmm. up on that. Yeah, there's a, a thing on his chest. Uh, looks like leather. Yeah, there's a – he is I, – I don't want to give away too much, but the Big Bad Wolf is connected to both in origin – uh, to another character uh, who is basically the Emperor Palpatine to his uh, Darth Vader, and um, that character has a has a bondage theme. So it's I'm really looking forward to that. I love I love mixing in all that fun stuff. Plus, I'm a goth, so it's going to come in. <laughs> okay, all righty. So that that's kind of interesting. I, I, the, you do point out one of my my favorite moments of the first issue um, there, and you talk about the fact that uh, the, she gets uh, Snow White gets offered an apple. Mm-hmm. It's just bite. No, she goes. Is that a, a running gag that we might see again in issues? Two she's and three? terrified of apples. Um, you know, it's yeah. not in issues two and three, but I could definitely wind up bringing that back because um, that is one of my favorite jokes in the whole thing. And in fact, that's one of the bits that has stayed w- consistent, like from the first night that I wrote Snow White Zombie in, uh, you know, in my apartment in Harlem, my first apartment in Harlem, uh, to now, like that, that's one of the through lines uh, is that, you know, she's always been terrified of apples. <laughs> I, I could see that as a good running gag, to be honest with you. I really could because <laughs> – that was a, a great line in the, the first one. Very surprising and funny. Well, and it's funny too because the 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 apple as an original prop, like that was the reason the apple is in there is twofold. Uh, one, um, the apple was like among the props that you could choose to put on stage in the prompt for the 24 hour play competition because you know the events of the first comic were literally written. Uh, you know, uh, submitted and produced uh, fully in 24 hours in in New York. Um, But also, like, once I knew that the Apple needed to be in there, because, you know, there's uh, Twilight was really popular around that time. And I really think the imagery from the Twilight book was, I was riffing on that. And then I also really liked on stage as a piece of stage business of Rapunzel eating an apple very loudly um, was like really, really funny. And, and so that comes through both in the comic, but like, I, I, I just like apples, honestly, in, in fiction, they look great on the page. Um, they have great symbolism because they're tied in with, you know, the forbidden fruit, uh, from Adam and Eve. And, um, they make a great crunch that kind of sounds like bones crunching <laughs> if you do it right. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, how many pages were in issue number two? So issue two and three, we're going. We're, we're trying to aim for twenty-two page issues going forward, as opposed to the forty-four. Um, originally, I was thinking we'd do forty-four page issues for each artist and switch artist every, artists every time. But um, the wh- the way I'm doing it now is it's by story beats. Um, so, so certain artists may have longer runs than others. And I really kind of want this to be the, the, the switching artist is a very purposeful choice. It's not because I don't want to work with these people. Cause like Kyando is incredible and he's, uh, still contributing to the series in the form. He did an incredible alternate cover, uh, that we're going to have for issue number two and a, and a print. Um, but, uh, Hyando, um, like, he was the perfect artist to do for the first two issues. And then I wanted to do, because you hear multiple tellings of fairy tales. And also I'm a really big fan of, uh, you know, uh, of Sandman 
And Sandman, again, changed artists frequently because, hey, dreams are weird and they change on you, you know, while you're having them. And no two dreams are exactly alike. So that's really a big part of um, the overall aesthetic of the series. So, you know, Luana's story beat, basically, that she's covering is uh, the beginning of issue two, right after Kyando, all the way up until the, the story of the cabin in the woods resolves at the end of issue four. Um, yeah. And then I've got, I've got an artist I'm really excited about. I don't want to uh, announce it yet, but I've got an artist that we're, we're in talks right now and and they're pretty big. So, uh, it's exciting. It's very exciting. And that's why people should also give the Kickstarter, by the way, because I don't, I, they, they cost a lot, but (laughs) I think the people are really going to enjoy the work that they do. They're worth it. Usually. That's the thing. So that's really good. So, uh, so number three has got twenty two issues, and you're saying number four you even got plans for? That's another twenty two issue, twenty two pages. Twenty two, twenty. I mean, give or take. Uh, I just finished writing issue five like last night, and that's t- coming out to be twenty four, twenty six pages. Um, you know, because I'm uh, self publishing through my own company, you know, I can really do what I want with it um, as long as you know it, it fits with what the printer needs. Um, uh, so like, you know, it, it, but what I wanted to do was to not do the 44 pages because with people giving on Kickstarter, it takes long enough to get out the 22 pages that you need and to have the art be up to the level of quality, um, that, you know, uh, we need on it. Also, you know, we've brought more people onto the, the project, um, uh, we've got an editor, uh, Andrea Molinari, um, and uh, we've also got a, a professional letterer that we, we've brought on. So um, this way, we're we're looking to get the books out as quickly as we can for folks, while still like maintaining the level of quality. And that would mean I, I don't want to have to wait till the end of each major story beat to then you know send it, send everybody their books. Okay, now, okay, now you've set up to issue five uh, for a book that was only going to be one issue. Now, all it's up to five. Do you have any idea how many issues you want to do with the uh, story? You know, I'm not entirely sure. Um, like the original play, there was the 15 minute, um, like, like there was the 10 minute play with an extra five minutes of fighting that uh, debuted in the Astro Genius Festival in New York, um, and then I wrote that into a lo- that was just called Snow White Zombie. And then when I made, I made that into a longer two hour play called snow white zombie apocalypse. Um, and that's why it's snow white zombie colon apocalypse. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so it's playing off like white zombie. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, the two hour play, uh, basically that covers the events of basically like if there's a Swaza movie, that's the movie or the first season of the TV series. If, and when we do that, um, the, uh, the events from uh, the beginning, from issue one to issue four, is about 50% of that two-hour play. Um, and then beyond that, I've actually had to expand a bit on what I did in the play um, because uh, I've had people like backing the series and I've added stuff like the uh, pre uh, the prequel Reign of the Blood-Covered King introduced a whole new character that I'd never had before, Jack the Giant Slayer. Um, and because of the introduction of Jack, I actually have uh, written like two, there's going to be two additional comics that covering events that weren't in the play at all 
um, uh, without giving away too much in issue five, uh, after they escape the gingerbread house, uh, they're going to go down into a, uh, a, a Viking burial. Uh, to find a, an ancient magic magical sword, and I'm pulling from the uh, saga of Rolf Kraki and his twelve berserker bodyguards. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, like the the cool thing about this is, is like I'm up to continue to do Swaza as long as people are interested, and I'm able to do the story. Um, and it seems like you know the more we do it, the more excited people get about it. Um, you know, uh, the first Kickstarter we did really well. We funded in ten days. This Kickstarter we funded in three hours. You know, so you know as long as that yeah. continues and, and builds, you know, who knows how 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 long I'm going to intend to tell this story. Right now, as far as I know, the the official story of of Snow White Zombie is uh, basically going to encompass two trades which would be uh issue one to issue four would be the first trade uh when we get that together and that's yondo and um luana's run and then we're going to go uh and uh one or two possible artists will handle the next um trade uh which will probably run issue five to you know I don't want to say because every time I, I put a number, I wind up needing to do more than that. <laughs> <laughs> five on. Yeah, five on. Uh, and then that will uh, continue up until like you're going you're gonna to learn more about the origins of the zombie plague. Um, there's also a subplot that's now been added, uh, which was not in the original play uh, or was hinted at in the original play, which is um, Sn- Prince Charming's father is a zombie uh, known as the Blood Covered oh, King. Really? Um, oh. and he's kind of lich like and has, uh, and he's responsible for the death of the woodsman's family. Um, oh. yeah. And so he's coming back into the story as well, um, that, that you'll find. Um, so, you know, it, it keeps getting bigger and, you know, the characters become much more real to me and they've started, you know, telling me how they want things to go. There was, I was writing issue five, uh, you know, just the other day and, um, one of the characters I was sitting there with Prince Charming and Jack and I wanted the story to go in a certain way. And Prince Charming basically rebelled and was like, no, I'm not going to do that. And I was just like, okay, we're, let's see where this goes. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Cause uh, I think one of the reasons this book does so well is the fun aspects of it. There's action adventure, but there's lots of crazy fun going on. You know, the business with the apple, the the other stuff, uh, there's lots of humor going on. And it's it, it's it's kind of winking humor. You if you know the story, you get that much more out of it. I, if you don't know the story, it's still sort of an interesting little thing, but knowing the 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 fairy tales and the and the stories and stuff like that you get so much more out of it and that i always find that those stories are more fun to read oh yeah i, I think that's true i mean week. there's a lot you i'm a big fan of the simpsons and the six person jokes that they have in the simpsons that it's it, the simpsons is a show or at least used to you know zombie simpsons these days is not as good as it was in its heyday but um mm-hmm. You know, it, it's a show that rewards you for paying attention and for being well read. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and similarly, like a great example is when you open up, um, you know, uh, Reign of the Blood Covered King. First page, you've got a peasant sitting in the fields and he's singing, My mother, she killed me, my father, he ate me, my sister Marlene gathered all my bones, tied them in a silken scarf, laid them beneath the juniper tree. Tweet, tweet, what a beautiful bird am I. Now, 
that's I couldn't write that. That's literally from the fairy tale, the juniper tree. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you know, similarly, like there's fairy tales are ridiculous and weird. And zombies are also ridiculous and weird to a certain extent, but they're also horrifying. And uh, there's an element of blood and, and, and guts and uh, there's political subtext, you know. And so and the same thing is going on in all of these old stories, because, you know, these are stories that humans have been telling, you know, for centuries. Um, and so it really gives me a lot to work with and a lot to riff off of um, in kind of the same way, you know, again, I hate to keep bringing him up, but, you know, my favorite writer, Neil Gaiman, um, when he wrote uh, the Graveyard Book, you know, he's riffing on Rudyard Kipling's The Jungle Book, and it's it, it was wonderful, you know. Um, so I'm kind of taking inspiration, but then running it in a – the inspiration that I'm grabbing um, is then – being fed through this kind of filter that is very much me and all the cool stuff that I'm interested in that I think is cool. Like, you know, mm-hmm. dark fantasy. Um, I'm a huge fan of Lord of the Rings, martial arts, um, you know, and, uh, it, you know, I, I spent some time with Occupy Wall Street. So, you know, my uh, a certain amount of politics gets uh, baked into the book as well. And that's well within the tradition of zombie stuff. Um, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, fond of kings you may notice <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's true now I, I have to mention that just because his birthday was recent and i was looking on facebook and i saw do you have you ever read keith giffen stuff keith giffen uh, no i haven't but you know what i'll tell you what your last recommendation of you recommended that i speak to dave peppos and yes yeah yes. we talked and like we're like terrific friends now and he's helped me out with his kickstarter and stuff so that's i'm definitely going to check this guy out that's keith well, David Pepos in my mind is going to be one of the big names up there amongst one of the the, the stars of, of comics because I, I everything I've ever read of his just sparkles. Yeah, definitely does. He comes he's up a, with the crazy. He's a great guy too. Oh, it's just fun. To, I've interviewed him a couple times on this podcast too. So I, Keith Giffen is the kind of guy that can mix deadly dire situations with comedy <laughs> there was there was a book and it was it was justice league one of the justice leagues and they had been transported to this other world where they got shrunk and when they got shrunk they found this uh robot of a of a, of a, a person of color shall mm-hmm. we say and they get in there and very small they're not quite sure how to run the controls and so they managed to get the robot going down the street and this of course is in the 1960s they're transporting different and the robot is just the legs and arms are flailing all over the place and this, they're, they're walking down all of a sudden that they run into another person of color and the person responds truck on brother because you know the legs and, arms. and i lost it i laughed and laughed and laughed at that here they are in this dire deadly situation and he writes in this hysterically funny mm-hmm to me sequence and i just but see this is why i I, some people think there can be no humor and i i completely disagree with that and i think that your book is a good example of how to introduce humor as as like a a a counterpoint yeah well i think it's really important um i took a lot of inspiration i may mention this on the last podcast but um i took a lot of inspiration from the grand guignol french style of theater um, and what they would do with this particular style of theater, and a lot of it was puppet theater, actually, but um, they would go from, they do like an evening of shorts, and the first play would be a horror play. 
And then the next play would be a comedy. And the next play would be a horror. And then the next play would be a comedy. And what they found was that audiences loved this because the horror paired with the comedy made the, the horror scarier. And then it also made the comedy funnier because you would build up that tension and then you needed a release. And both of these, you know, two kind of opposing forces would play off one another. And so that's a, a lot of what I'm doing with Swaza. And like, it's very important to me. And one of the things I'll tell like the, anybody that I work with, you know, this is serious to the characters, you know, because it doesn't mean they can't be funny on purpose, but a lot of the, the humor in it is dramatic humor that happens as a result of the, the reader's distance. So long as like, you know, the world and the stakes are real to the characters, you can really wring some great comedy out of that. And then that can make the experience um, much more heightened because like humor, uh, you know, not to get into too much of the theory behind it or anything, but a lot of people think that like, the evolutionary basis of humor is to let people know a, a something has been violated. There is a danger, but it's okay. So it's that, that that nervous laughter that happens after you know you think you saw a leopard in the bushes, but no, you you just bumped into something or it was a cat. You know, um, and I think that's kind of what leads leads humans to to laugh very often. Um, you know, and so in explaining humor, obviously it, it ceases to be funny, but you can see how that would play into the themes that I'm dealing with. Mm -hmm. Well, there's this one sequence you have on the, on the Kickstarter page. It says, you're going to get us killed. Prince Charming is going to Rapunzel. says, why would zombies leave a trail of breadcrumbs? Then she goes, why would anyone leave a trail of breadcrumbs? Because they have bread. Calm down, he goes. Now, see, that is, that's exactly how Prince Charming would deal with a situation like that. You know, <laughs> see, that that's introducing humor and showing, I mean, he's a real person. People aren't serious all the time. You know, you'll be in a tired, deadly situation. Somebody has to crack a joke just to lighten it. And see, that's the kind of, you make these characters more real when you do those things. And I think that's, again, I think that's one of the things that makes the series so popular is that, you know, not only are they fairy tale people, but they're real fairy tale people the way you do them. And I like that. Yeah. You know, it's great. That line always got like a huge laugh in the, in the original play. And um, it, I, I really love it because it works on a number of levels. You have um, why would zombies leave a trail of breadcrumbs, which is very, you know, Rapunzel's there in the scene. Uh, it, or, uh, sorry, Prince Charming's there in the scene. And Rapunzel responds, why would anyone leave a trail of breadcrumbs? Because that's an inherently ridiculous thing to do, commenting on the, you know, the uh, Hansel and Gretel story, which the characters are not aware of because they live in that world. And then, of course, because they have bread calm down you know he's looking for <laughs> he's both making fun of her and also he's like we're looking for food this is literally food we're gonna if we find it we'll find some more food so i i love it when any in my opinion and this is part of a philosophy that i developed on the appalachian trail um you know when we were living as a through hiker you had to carry everything on your back and you would brag about how little you had and anything that, because every ounce and every calorie counted, you know, anything that didn't have two uses, you got rid of. Um, and so I try to take that uh, approach to writing as well in that I really want everything that I do to always be working on multiple levels. Um, and I, I find that makes uh, for a lot more of a satisfying uh, story. Um, 
a buddy of mine um, uh, named uh, Vadim uh, from the from the uh, channel Creationist Cat. Last night, he was showing me like a preview of one of his videos that he's doing on uh, the TV series version of The Boys. Um, and, uh, he pointed out that like, as the character Starlight, um, gets told, uh, this, this major, uh, thing that rocks her entire world. I don't know if you're familiar with the boys, uh, mm-hmm. but like, as she gets, basically gets the rug pulled out from under her, she also takes a sniper bullet to the chest and gets knocked over. Now it doesn't kill her cause she's a superhero. Um, but you know, that's, he pointed out that that's really good writing because, what they've done is they've taken the they've taken her internal story and how she feels and they externalized it by shooting her with a freaking uh, uh, with a freaking bullet and like you can see in a lesser story they might just be shooting somebody for the shock value but because it works on those two levels you can see uh, and and really kind of devour there's a lot more texture to it that way. Mm-hmm. And you see a lot of those kinds of things in your story too. I think that's just well done. It's I, I like things that reach me on a couple levels. Something can be funny but dire at the same time, and those kinds of things. All those things. I mean, the the, the big bad alpha wolf. Wow. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> when I saw that, I was like, holy! Sm-. On several levels, that was something. So there's all kinds of those kinds of things going on. And Snow White Zombie Apocalypse is a success already, numbers one through three, and just expect that it's going to continue to grow. Now's the time to jump onto the train here and, and get going. Again, it's going to conclude on Thursday, December 17 at 8 in the morning. Get on board now so you can get all these good things, including all those extra digital comics that uh, uh, that Brenton's talked about. So all kinds of good things. Um, I, I do get a kick out of the multiple levels. Join the zombie horde, one is. And there's another one, the, the book Wolf Zombie and Variant Zombie. All kinds of – then we get to the wolves, Alpha Wolf and all those kinds of good things. I love – I love witty. Yeah, I – I tried to have fun with it. Um, I had to kind of straddle a line between having fun with it and just telling people as quickly and easily as possible what they're actually buying. Um, yeah. And you can get, so on that Kickstarter, you know, it starts off the, the lower tiers are, you know, a thank you in the back of the book uh, for the Kickstarter publication uh, through my company, Autonomous Collective. Um, you know, uh, there's also a um, digital copies of the books. Um, there's also what I'm including with this, and I'm really excited, is you will also receive a link to the official Snow White Zombie um, soundtrack which may or may not be directly inspired by the soundtrack I listen to when I'm writing it. And there's some incredible bands on there, including um, uh, the crew shadows, which is a band that I'm working with a good friend. Rogue um, runs them. They're a, a goth band that's actually beaten out Madonna and Beyonce for the number one dance hit in the world in 2005. Um, wow. Yeah, some of his work is on there. There's some great, like, deep cuts, dark roots, like, basically kind of jumping between gothic and hillbilly <laughs> music. Um, and uh, th- that's not the Crew Shadows. Crew Shadows is in there, but they they uh, they have a different style. I would definitely recommend everybody, if you haven't heard of them before, check them out. But if you get at the lower level, you get access to that. Uh, at the higher levels, you know, there's there's variant covers that people really love. Um, one of which is um, done um, by I'm really excited that we got this guy, um, Adam Bryce Thomas. 
uh, who is the uh, he's the uh, he, he does the interiors for Sonic the Hedgehog and uh, Samurai Jack with IDW. Um, and he, he did uh, an incredible um, uh, variant cover for me. And I'm really like, yeah, that dude's incredible. Um, there's several other really great variant covers, including one uh, that is a direct homage to the most um, <laughs> the most uh, um, uh, villain, no, not villainous, vilified comic book cover of all time. You know, the one from crime suspense stories, number 22. Oh, with the, with yeah. the headless woman. Yeah. We've, <laughs> we've got one with where the woodsman has the a headless zombie, uh, wolf girl with, uh, Good. yeah. So pick those up, you know, hopefully if the series, you know, continues to grow, you know, you can say you got in at the ground floor. Um, I'm signing a lot of this stuff and a lot of it's, you know, limited edition and numbered. And at the higher end, yeah, you can buy cameos in the book as an extra or a zombie. You can get a character who has maybe one line uh, and might have a name uh, or even at the higher end, like you can uh, buy uh, yourself as a character in Swaza. Um, and mm. yeah, I've got, uh, in fact, that's where, uh, Jack, the giant, uh, killer came from. One of the people that, uh, gave it the high end the last time got that. And I got a great character out of it that wouldn't have had anything to do with the series. Um, uh, you know, uh, until that happened and I had to flex my creative muscles. Um, so yeah, yeah. There's a lot of great stuff you can do, you can do. And, you know, like I said, this story and series is kind of on the up and up. Uh, and I'm excited to see where it goes. So I would love the help to, uh, and really like, even though we're already funded, everything that I'm raising is going to go back into production. Um, and if not production on this book on future issues and to make sure that I can keep this engine going, because, you know, as you know, comics are really, really hard and really expensive to produce. And, um, you know, uh, so the, the more help that I can get, uh, the, the further I can take this and the cooler stuff I can show everybody. And, you know, also, you know, I've met some really cool people through the Kickstarter. So. Mm -hmm. Very cool. So um, let's see. Uh, again, it's Thursday, December 17 at eight in the morning. This is going to conclude. Don't wait until then. Uh, get on board right now. And uh, let's say people want to keep up with you on, uh, on social media. How do they do that? So you just have to Google my name, Brenton, B-R-E-N-T-O-N, Lengel, L-E-N-G-E-L. Um, you can follow me, uh, you can try to friend me on Facebook. Um, I get a lot of fake people trying to, to friend me. Like, so I may not accept the friend request, but you'll still follow me and see my, my posts. Uh, I'm at Brenton Lengel on Twitter. Uh, the, the comic is at Snow White Bones on Twitter. And, and, you know, I post from both of those accounts. Um, and also, uh, I currently have launched a YouTube channel. Um, you just, uh, um, on YouTube slash Despanon, D E S P A N A N, or just, you know, search Brenton Lengel on YouTube, uh, where I talk about arts, politics. I do live debates. I actually have a live debate coming up on, uh, this Friday, uh, though it might get rescheduled. Um, and I talk about like, uh, philosophy and Buddhism and, you know, I've got some, uh, interviews with some incredible creators on that, uh, channel as well, uh, including David Pepos. So, you know, it, it's, uh, and sometimes I, I play Among Us, which, um, have you, have you heard of this game, by the way, Among Us? Yeah, it's, it's what all the kids no. are doing these days is, um, <laughs> it's basically like you're playing as a little cartoony version of a character who's living through the, the plot of the thing, 
where you and your friends are online and one of you or possibly two of you are murderers. Uh, you've been replaced by a double. And so it's the, the people playing the double, it's their, um, their goal is to kill everyone in the group. And the group's goal is to find the double and, and get rid of them. And it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful game where you can play and lie to your friends while you murder them. Well, have you ever played Werewolf by Night? I have not. What's, is that the same thing? Or? Uh, it's, it's, it's something similar. I, I play with my friends that. That's one of the very few games I actually play. And I actually have a, a, a rule named after me. I was, we were playing this game. And see, if you are, you can be a werewolf, but you can also be like a, a, a somebody that supports the werewolf. Mm-hmm. And so there was this, we were playing, and they suddenly decided that they couldn't tell if I was somebody on the werewolf team or not. And so they decide, well, we just have to kill him just to be sure. I said, wait a second. You can't just kill somebody just to be sure. That's not right. And they still went ahead and did it. And after that, they felt so guilty about it. They said, well, that was the Wayne Hall rule. We can't, we can't just kill somebody just to, just to make sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's <laughs> because I wasn't, because yeah, you weren't, a, I wasn't you weren't one of them that time. <laughs> I wasn't. And I said, you guys killed me for no, just because, you know, I was an innocent person getting killed. Yeah. So it was kind of, they'll, they'll do that on among us too, where they think somebody is sus and, you know, uh, just toss them out the airlock or something. But, and you know, that's interesting. What's interesting also um, to, to tie this back into kind of what we're talking about is I have been sort of amazed at the effect that games have on oftentimes uh, have on the creative process. Um, there's an incredible series um, that I'm a huge fan of. The first couple seasons of it are, are on Netflix called um, Hunter Hunter. Um, it's an anime. And you can tell like when the, the writer is crafting his magic system, you can tell he's played RPGs and he's played Magic the Gathering. Um, because like the, the way, and this actually leads to some of like the most interesting and in-depth combat that I've ever seen in an anime. And, you know, it's, it's one of the things, uh, that, you know, I, I aspire to do something as good as, uh, you know, going into the future. Cause I really think that Hunter Hunter, if I don't go in a Hunter Hunter direction with Snow White Zombie, I may create another series just to do my own spin on that kind of story. <laughs> So, see, mom, playing games was beneficial after. It, yeah, it absolutely was. It's, it's funny. Like, I was, I was, I was getting interviewed again last night for this thing, and somebody was like, "Well, where did like all this craziness come from?" And I'm like, "Well, you know, it's because I'm a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I worked kung fu in because I loved '70s kung fu movies. I worked in, you know." Um, a lot of stage combat because I was doing martial arts and LARPing when I was in high school, you know, we'd go run out to the fields and dress as knights and beat each other with uh, foam swords. And, you know, you think you're wasting time when you're a kid, but, you know, I guess if you become a shiftless artist, that becomes like theater training. <laughs> right. That's right. See, that's the thing. All these good things nerds have taken over the world as people like to say. So it, again, it's snow white, Zombie Apocalypse, number one to three. Get on board before Thursday, December 17 at 8 a.m. And you'll be glad you did because it's a great book with all kinds of wonderful integration of fairy tales and zombies and other good things. And it all works. That's the great part. So it's great talking with you, Renton. As always, we'll have to do this again when, when other things are coming up. And, uh, and it's great that this is going to be a success. I can't wait to see what you're going to do with this. Gonna yeah, be please do. This is really fun. And, you know, I always love these and I'm definitely going to check out, uh, you said it was Keith, Keith Griffin. 
Keith Giffen. 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 Uh, yeah, I added Giffen. an R there. Um, is now I'm yeah, imagining Jeff he has Giffen. a Griffin head. If, if you ever get a, if you ever get a chance to read their Justice League, uh, Justice League. Um, Oh, what was it? The first one was just Justice League that took off of America. This this is a ways back. They have a very famous cover uh, that was drawn where it was like the I told the artist it was the very first selfie. All these people looking into the camera, and uh, he works also. Uh, oh darn, his name just slipped right out of my head. The writer, the other writer, they they put together. He writes and sometimes draws. Keith does, and it's just wonderful stuff. I'll check that out. Uh, his birthday just passed. Yeah, it's good stuff. Let me tell you, if you get a chance to read those. You will. Uh, I have sat next to. Oh gosh, what's the name of the guy that that writes with him? Uh, I'll, I'll remember as soon as I get done talking with you. But uh, I was sitting next to him at a con, and these these people were coming up to him saying, oh, "You wrote this wonderfully funny thing. I still laugh when I think about it." You know, and so this again, the humor business is important and, and stuff. So it, really anyway, is. it makes an impression. Up- By the way, there is something that I want to throw out there into the universe, kind of the secret style. So if anyone's listening uh, and has any inkling of how this might get done, um, I have an idea for a Joker story, like like a kind of a standalone Joker story that I think has never been told. And I don't think I can quite watchmanize it. Like it feels like it only works if it's actually the Joker. So if anyone can figure out a way to get someone to let me write a Joker story, <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> so, and feel free to reach out All to right. me. My, uh, my email's on my website. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, I'd look forward to see that. That would be different. It'd be, sure. it'd be very different. So, I, I won't tip my hand because again, this is a Joker story. No one's ever told. I guess guarantee you, but um, it, it's going to be weird and fun. <laughs> and that's a wrap for this episode. Until next time, keep reading your comics.